Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Appreciate your participation and your service with us at Berean. You know, your support enables us to carry on a lot of ministries. Yesterday, there were, how many were here yesterday, Kyle? About 250 Awana leaders and uh, some people from Chicago, the staff, uh, that uh, Kyle and Nancy are Awana missionaries. And we had a conference here yesterday, and the conference was for encouraging and training leaders who work with children in the Awana ministry. And they have two more conferences this week, coming up, and next week. So I want you to pray for Kyle and Nancy. It's a very busy time, and Kyle's still recovering from his hip surgery. And so pray for strength and encouragement for them. And the Lord bless you. Thank you for that conference yesterday. Last week, if you were here, Pastor Gary spoke from Acts, and we talked about the early church in Acts, early, the early Jewish church in Jerusalem, because the whole context is very Jewish in Jerusalem. And some of the challenges they face and the problems. And, of course, we talked about Ananias and Sapphira. And in the course of his discussion, uh, Gary suggested that um, you know, no church is perfect. And if you find the perfect church, then you should not come because you would ruin it. <laughs> now, if you were here last week, you're back. <laughs> So I'm trying to think what to read into that, okay? You either decided this was not a perfect church, so it was okay for you to come, or you decided it is a perfect church and you're perfect, or you really didn't give any more thought to it, and uh, (laughs) you're here. We're glad you're here, but we're actually going to continue that story today. I want you to uh, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 7, because we're going to continue to see how God works through conflict resolution and plans for ministry to accomplish His will and His purpose. But uh, let's open in prayer. Father, as we open Your Word, we ask Your blessing upon Your Word to our hearts. May we consider it. May we take it to heart. May we read it, understand it. But most of all, may we live by it in our walk with You and as a church family in this coming week and month to come. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we want to talk a little bit from chapter 6, and today we want to consider, uh, let's see, are we good back there with the PowerPoint? All right. I'm not getting anything. There we go. Challenges, thanks you guys, challenges to the Jerusalem church. Verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the, Greece, the Grecian Jews, or some of your translations may say Hellenistic Jews, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the distribution of the food. So as we consider the challenges to the Jerusalem church, we've seen opposition. We've seen opposition from the... Okay, let's see what's going on here. On... Sorry, I need to decide which is on and which is off. I read it wrong. O-N is on, right? Okay. All right. Opposition from the adversaries. We've seen this from outside the church. Those who were opposing the church wanted the disciples to quit talking, quit ministering, uh, to stop what they were doing. 
We saw last week, we saw sin from within the camp. We use the word camp because that's sort of an Old Testament concept in the Jewish world, this idea that the camp of believers, those who were unpure and so forth, were put outside the camp. But so within the camp of believers, within the household of faith, there are problems, and we talked about this last week, sin with Ananias and Sapphira and how they dealt with that. And today, we have grumbling among the believers. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them grumbled or complained against the Hebraic Jews. Now, the word grumbled there is the word that's connected to the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament when Israel grumbled in the wilderness and complained against Moses and Miriam and against the leadership for bringing them out of Egypt. So what's, what's going on here? What's, what's the problem? Well, you have two groups of Jews that are mentioned here. And the, the idea here is this is taking place in Judea. This is taking place in the heart of Judea, in Jerusalem, the heart of, the heart of Israel's story and history. And the native Jews to Palestine would be considered Hebraic Jews because their spoken tongue would have been Aramaic or Hebrew. But Aramaic was a, a close relative of Hebrew and a very similar. And so... Uh, they are, we could say, Hebrew-speaking Jews, Aramaic Hebrew-speaking Jews. So they, that's their culture. That's their context. The Grecian Jews are the Jews who live, like the Apostle Paul, was from Tarsus. They are the Jews who live out in the Mediterranean world. That was their background. But for centuries, they have lived out in this world and have adopted a Greek culture, in the sense they are still Jews, they still practice their religion, they practice, they have their synagogues, they have all the ordinances from the Old Testament, but their common tongue is Greek. In fact, the Bible that they used is was the Greek translation of the Old Testament, probably the largest Jewish population in the world at this time, not probably, we know for sure, was Alexandria, Egypt. And, they were, and Alexandria was a, remember, remember the Romans conquered the Greek world and they inherited the Greek world. And while the Romans conquered it politically, Greeks still ruled culturally. And so the, the common trade tongue, much like English is today in the trade world and so on, is, was, was Greek. And these were Greek speaking, very heavily influenced, they were called Hellenistic Jews. And culturally, while they are both Hebrew groups, there are some distinctions, just like in today's world. There really are there, there are two culturally Jewish groups, Ashkenazim and Sephardic. Uh, one group has a language called Ladino, which is a mix of Hebrew and Spanish. The other have Yiddish, which is a, which is a mix of Eastern European language and Hebrew. They, uh, they have some differences in their worship styles, in their music, in different cultural things, but they're still Jews and they practice the heart of Judaism in their religion. So this is what's going on here. You have these two groups that are distinct, but they're Jews, and they have a lot of, in common. And evidently what happened, we don't give them the details, but the, especially the widows among them, the Grecian Jews, those who have this Hellenistic background, are receiving less treatment and less care than the native Hebraic Jews in Jerusalem. And it's caused this rift in this church that is growing. Some time may have elapsed between chapter 5 and chapter 6. And as this group is growing in numbers, and this rift takes place, and it causes this division, these hard feelings, this grumbling and complaining against one another, that evidently threatens to tear the place apart. Now, we have to understand, in the first century, widows were very vulnerable 
There was no Roman social safety net, okay? And so the widow that was on her own was very vulnerable, and economically and socially. And so the, the Jewish community, for example, they gathered around, they took care of one another, as they always have done. They, they take care of each other. It's, it's part of their community. And they did this in the first century. They couldn't depend on the Romans. Romans weren't going to take care of them. And so in this early church, they adopted the same thing. They took care of each other. But in this particular case, for whatever reason, when it came time to distribution of food and care, the, the Hebraic women that were widows, they were getting this treatment, and evidently the Grecian Jews were getting what was left over, and it was causing a serious rift in this early church community. And these things unresolved, you know what would happen. Unresolved, you would end up eventually with two separate groups, and it would be a, it would be a very difficult time for the early church to continue its growth and continue its ministry and continue its witness to their fellow Jews who they are trying to gather in and they are looking forward to the Messiah returning to set up the kingdom. This is what is happening. This is the effect and this is the thing that's so critical that it comes before them and so it comes to the twelve. And how are they going to resolve this conflict? Whoops, did I go too far there? Challenge, okay, so we got the three challenges, okay? Now, we're going to look at how they resolve this. Look at verse 2. So the twelve, that is the twelve apostles, who are still the leadership of this group, the twelve apostles gathered all the disciples together. Now, that's interesting because if that's all the disciples, we're talking about thousands. If it's mainly the leadership core, you know, it could be hundreds. I don't know, but it says he gathered all the disciples together. And they gathered them together to make a decision. And the disciples said, and I'm assuming this took place after some discussion among themselves. I, don't, I doubt they just all of a sudden showed up and started talking. But they, they came to a decision. And they said this, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit, and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This this plan pleased the entire group of disciples. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, and a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the, the, the plan now they come up with is to divide the ministry. But the key word here, and I wanted to put this up for you, is the word diakonos. Because diakonos, and, I, and I'm not trying to impress you with any Greek here or anything, okay? I'm, I have a few words I'll put up today just because I want you to see you'll recognize them. Obviously, what word comes from diakonos? Deacons. It's the word deacons. Now, in our church, we don't have per se deacons, but we do, but we don't call them that. And I'll tell you why in a little bit here. We do have deaconesses. Tomorrow at our memorial service for Ken Jones, the deaconesses will be serving the refreshments. They'll be hosting the fellowship time after service. Our deaconesses visit. I go visit people all the time. 
And I, I always hear from them, oh, we appreciate so much the deaconesses who come. They come two by twos generally and visit us. Sometimes they come by themselves with their spouse. They come and visit, and they bring flowers. They bring encouragement. They host ministries. They are a tremendous blessing uh, in our church. And this is where the word comes from, and it's the word for service. And I want you to notice that in this case, that for both of these groups, we have two groups here. You know, it would be very easy in sort of a cursory reading of this passage, it would be very easy to come to the conclusion that you have a hierarchy here. Because there's a, certain, there's a phrase here. It would not be right for us to neglect the word of God at the end of verse 2 in order to wait on tables. And you might take that as sort of a, sort of a not as important service to, to wait tables. Okay? But that is simply, that, that word is there simply, it's the idea of service. And when you're talking about people who are hungry, right, and maybe seriously hungry, serving them food is a very important ministry of service. It might be life-sustaining. It could make the difference between life and death, obviously. So the word waiting tables, while in our language, in our context, it might seem sort of a, a menial-type job or something, this is very important. They are serving these widows who have no other place to get food, probably. And so that's why this term is used. It's the word for serve. And it's interesting for those who are called to serve the word of God, in their, in, as the apostles say, it would not be right, right for us to neglect the service, the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Let us choose them. And we will turn this responsibility over to them. And we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what's interesting is that in in this case, both of these, service of prayer and teaching. Isn't it interesting that the apostles say, listen, we have been specifically called. Jesus sat with us and and taught us and told us to pass this on now. This is very important. We, We are called to teach the word. Now, the word would have to be the Old Testament scriptures. And the word that God has given them. We have been called to this. But he knows that they put the equal emphasis on prayer. We, have to, we must give our time to prayer and to teaching God's word because that's what we have been called to. We have been called to this and we must do this. It's a service. It's a diakonos. But also the physical needs of the church, the people, the food, the care. It could be shelter. It could be a daily administration of whatever is needed to help these, in this particular case, widows. But the Bible tells us that the fatherless and the widows are particularly vulnerable in the old world, and the community had to care for them. The Jewish community took care of them. I mentioned to the group on Sunday night before that when my father died, he, he didn't, my, my mom didn't have very much at all. And uh, the Jewish Brotherhood took over, and they've completely covered all the funeral expenses. It didn't cost her a dime. And uh, his brothers in Argentina sent money for the headstone. I mean, that's the way it works. It's the way it works. And, and in this particular case, this is service. They are taking care of one another. And so this, I just wanted to make sure you understand this, that, that what we have here, we do not have a hierarchy of ministry. And I'll show you how we, we know this for sure. This is not a hierarchy of ministry where, where the apostles say, look it. We, we, are, we are above serving tables. That's not what they're saying. 
They are not saying we are above serving tables. What they are saying is we have been given a calling and we must do this calling. And you men here that we have chosen, you now have been given this calling and you must do this calling. And I would like to suggest to you there's an equality here. This is not one above the other. It's a matter of calling. And either way, if, the, if those who are called to administer the needs of the people physically, the food and the housing and the care, if they end up doing the other job and are asked to do all the teaching, then who's going to do that job? And widows may be starving to death. So it's a calling and it's a parity, and I think that's very clear. And it's interesting that the word service, diakonos, is used for both of these. And so this plan, this plan pleases everyone. And I want you to notice, too, also, how we know that, that the, the importance of the gifts are equal. Because I want you to notice the qualifications. He says to them, I want you to choose, in verse 3, seven men from among you who are what? Known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. He does not say, well, I want you to just pick seven men who are good administratively, who understand food. No, he says they must be full of the Holy Spirit. They must have evidence to the church community that they are full of the Spirit of God. They are sensitive to God's leading. They are spiritual leaders. It's interesting, the names given of the seven men, they're all Greek names, by the way. There's some real practicality here, too. You notice that the 12 apostles, being impartial about this, they didn't load it with, with four Hebraic and three, you know. They're all Greek names. And it's kind of interesting. They're all Greek names. It appears the body of this group are pretty much Hellenistic Jews who are given the task of serving everybody, the Hebraic and the Hellenistic. And one of those men in particular is Stephen. Unless you wonder or doubt that there's a parody here that, the, that these men who are doing the serving and the waiting on the tables, as it were, meeting the physical needs... If, if you think that they are people of lesser quality, this is the man we will be looking at. In chapter, and if we go on, verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members. Of the, now here's another historical cultural note. Members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene, Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia. You have this, again, these are Grecian Jews. The synagogue of the freedmen was probably a synagogue originally founded by freed slaves and has now attracted these Grecian Jews. And these Grecian Jews from Alexandria, from Cilicia, from outside of Judea, they are particularly honing in on Stephen because he is one of them. And they are really focused on him. And of all of them, they choose him. And it's because he's a man so full of God's grace and power. He did wonders and signs. So you say, well, he's just a man who waited tables. No, he is, he is one who, who has got a reputation for a powerful man of God. And I'm sure the other six as well were seen that way also. And in fact, these men began to argue with Stephen. In verse 10, they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. So all that to simply remind you. What we're dealing with here is a division of ministry. It is not a hierarchy. These men that are, are teaching God's word and praise, apostles, these are men who, 
who are going to shake this, this Jewish world, if you will, and eventually the, the word will go out, as Paul is called, and the, and the apostles, and the word goes out to the Gentile world. They are shaking, and in fact, we see in Acts where there's fear. The whole world's going after them. They are, things are changing fast. God is using them, but God is also using these others to help hold this church together, to help solidify it, to help keep cohesiveness and harmony and make sure people are eating and people are being cared for in this community. They are moving away from being accepted by the Jewish community in a lot of ways, so they are on their own. And if they don't care for each other, who's going to do it? And friend, and that, that really, there's, there's, for both groups here, and, and, and it's the same today in a the, in the sense, if the apostles didn't do their job, who was going to do it? Who was going to do it? Who was going to teach and preach God's word? Who was going to pray over God's word and then carefully teach true and true and, and right doctrine? And I ask you the same thing today. One of the reasons why in our church, in our pulpit, in our classes, in our children's ministry, the Bible is our final authority. We stand in the historical Reformation tradition, which is 500 years birthday, that the Bible is our final authority in faith, what we believe, and practice what we do. I am not the final authority. Our elders are not the final authority. And if you ever hear from this pulpit that you have no right to question us, you have no right to ask questions or disagree, you're in the wrong church. Because that is not how we operate. Now, yes, you respond with respect. And we have respect for authority. Certainly. But if, if you read God's scripture and, God, and, and you have a question, say, well, I don't quite get, I don't see that there. Can we talk about it? And if I say, no, sorry, you can't talk about it. That's not what we believe. That's not right. This is the final authority, and I better be willing to talk to you about it. Right? Amen? That's what, that's, that's, that's what it means. And this is our final authority. And when it comes to our practice, how we live, I have my opinions, you have your opinions, there are cultural opinions, there are cultural differences, but in the essentials, this is what guides us in how we live. This is what these apostles were called to do. And it's the same today, friends. If we don't do it, who's going to do it? If we don't teach and preach God's word, who's going to do it? And if we don't take care of one another and present a witness to the, to the world and community that we really are a faith community, if we can't do it for each other, we can't do it for the world. And so there's this witness is going on, and it's so important. And I just want you to see the importance of this multiplicity of ministries. It's not a hierarchy. It's a calling. And they are all important callings. You know, this is scriptural as we go throughout the New Testament. And we, I want you just to consider for a minute Paul's teachings on leadership in the church. Even though this is early on in the story, and later on, as the word goes out to the Gentile world, and these churches are founded in these communities, and all of a sudden now you have Jews and pagans. It's not a matter of Hebraic and Hellenistic Jews. Now you've got Jews who are steeped, for the most part Hellenistic Jews, who are steeped in God's Old Testament scriptures. And now you have Gentile pagans who have absolutely no background in it. And they are thrown together in a new community of faith, and they are brothers and sisters. How are they going to serve? How are they going to operate? And you'll notice in the, later, the latest epistles Paul left us, in Timothy and Titus, I want you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 real quick, and we're not going to study this, but I want you to see this, that you still have this, even though different words are used, the concept 
is still the same. And this is what the concept that we work off of still today for the church. Verse 1, here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sits, sets his heart on being an overseer, now the word for here, and I'll put another word up, not to impress you with Greek, but in First Timothy, um, the word episcopus. What does it sound like? Huh? Episcopal. Now, we know there's a, there is a branch of Christianity called the Episcopalian Church. But the word in its, and the reason they took that word, it just simply means one who is in charge to make sure things are done right. The overseer. In Acts chapter 20, the same concept, it's the word presbyteros, which of course Presbyterian come from. You can't cut it real fine. You'll find these words are interchanged. But the concept, the concept of this idea of, of, of the ministry of the word and the ministry of service, you'll find here. I want you to notice, he says, this is a, tr- this is a trustworthy saying. If a person sets his heart on this, he desires no noble task. And here's the qualifications. He must be above reproach, husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, apt or able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, his family well, see his children obeying with proper respect. Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert. And verse 7, he must have a good reputation with outsiders. So this is a high, this is very, very important and very high calling. It's a humbling calling. And, but, but this is a calling. He says, if God puts this on your heart and you seek to be an elder, and in this early church context, it appears to be, sometimes we use the word pastor, elder, that Paul and Timothy and Silas, when they traveled, they, they, when they left, they appointed elders in the church. And usually one emerged as the main teaching elder, the pastor of the church. But this group of elders who were called to administer the word, and the qualifications here are, are very high. We are not looking for perfection, right? If it was perfection, you'd have no pastors and no elders. But there are standards here that are expected. Um, you know, in our church, we have a history and we encourage, and, and, I, and I, wanna, I, we, I try to be careful and balanced about this. We do make, we do emphasize, and make, if, if God has called any of you, as he has called many of in our, for our church family, to be pastors, teachers, Ephesians chapter 4, God has said some to be pastors, teachers, evangelists, well, apostles first, that gift is no longer in vogue, that was during the apostolic era, pastors, teachers, evangelists, that God has called them to do this work. But he goes on to say the result is, the reason they're called to this, is not to do all the work of the church community, but to build up the body so that you might do the work of the, of the ministry. Because it's a high calling we all have. And so, yes, we, if, if God lays it on the heart of any of our young people especially, to, to God is calling them to, to what we call full-time Christian ministry, Yes, this is a high calling. And we do not promote that at the, at the expense of other callings and say this is the most important calling. But it is an, it is an important calling. And if God calls you to that, and then we're, we're, you know, we have in our midst today, Sean, who is uh, who's an intern at Grace Bible College. He's got a few more months with us, and he'll be graduating, going to graduate school, and he's looking in to go to the pastorate. It's, it's an important calling. Brother Josh Sherman, we're going to be hearing more about the ministry that we are looking forward to of involving our region and our, and our national uh, body 
to begin the concept and, and the long process of a, of a new church plan, and Josh has responded, was willingness to, to accept this call. Um, uh, Holly's working with us. Where are you, Holly, this, this year? Holly is, 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 is interested in full-time Christian ministry, Graduate Grace Bible College. I mean, these are important, and if God calls you to that, it is very important. And we say that not to denigrate any other calling. It is important and positive. But then look at the next group. This is in the early church, that, 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 but this is last, the last letters Paul writes. Verse 8, deacons, right? So here now they're actually called diakonos. In Acts 6, they're not called deacons, but the word that describes them is diakonos, service. And here it's actually called servants, diakonos, these servants of the church, likewise. So you have two groups here. But look at, the, look at their responsibility. They are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of their deep truths of faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there's any nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. And we have more description in verse 12. So the idea here is, at this stage of the church development, this concept from Acts has taken hold. Why? It was the same concept in the Jewish world that you have in the, in the local church, the community of faith. You have those who are called to ministers who serve the Word of God and to pray. And you have those who are, along with their spiritual in tuneness with God, they are called to serve the needs of the church, the physical needs. The, the facilities, the people, the food, the, the, the finances, they are called to serve that. It's a high calling. And they are to be spiritual leaders as well. This is what God has called. I want you to notice the result of this ministry plan. This is God's plan for ministry. And we go back to Acts chapter 6, where we left off. And I want you to notice the, the results of this plan. It was a good plan. God blessed it. And it worked. And I want you to notice afterward in verse 6, they, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed, laid their hands on them. And here's the result. The word of God grew. And it's interesting, the Greek says the word of God grew. The word of God grew. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And notice here, this is a sort of a, a byline almost people miss. A large number of priests... Jewish priests who served in the temple, Levites, a large number became obedient to the faith. When this plan is worked the way it's supposed to work, that we understand it's not a hierarchy. It's a matter of calling to ministry. And I want to expand that this morning because Paul goes on to talk about spiritual gifts in the church. And it's interesting in Romans he not only talks about the apostles, teachers, evangelists, but he talks about those who are gifted in generosity, those who are gifted in encouragement. And we could talk about a number of spiritual gifts today, those who are gifted in music, who can help consider this and, and bring it to lead us to worship, those who are gifted in teaching children, those who are gifted in working in the nursery with our little ones, those who are gifted um, you don't get to see it like I do during the week, but those who went up on the scaffolding <laughs> to put in these new lights and on the roof on each corners to put in fans to help us cool this place down in the summer 
And it works, too. We found that out a couple weeks ago. It works good. We call them our trustees. We have a business committee. We have deaconesses. We have a missionary committee that oversees our mission work. Listen, if you expected the pastors to do all this, when would we have time to serve the Word of God? It is important. The Iwana conference yesterday, all these ministries of everything that's involved in running a club program on Wednesday night. We run Iwana and Pioneer Girls Wednesday night, and there are administrators, there are bookkeepers, there are teachers, there are leaders. There's all these different things that, that, so that a life can be affected and changed for Jesus Christ. These are all callings that God has called us to as a church family. What's the results? The results are this. First of all, the ministry of the Word and the physical needs are both met. It's a balanced ministry. And I just tell you again, and this, you know, frankly, I'll have to tell you, the the biggest challenge for a pastor today, I can speak for myself, but I talk to other pastors. You know what our biggest challenge is? Really finding that time to really just spend concentrated time in God's Word. And this study this week and looking at this is recommitted for this pastor. This is my primary responsibility. Uh, I visit, I do counseling, I minister to needs, but when all is said and done, this has to be a priority, and it takes time. And this is something that God has called us to, but we also need to have the physical needs of this ministry met, the opportunities to serve in our community and meet physical needs. We have a group of people that come in and prepare lunches for the food for kids because there are kids in our neighborhood that go home on weekends and have no food. They come to school and they get food. They go home on weekends and there's no food in the house, and that's true. It's true. And so the churches in our local community have worked together with the Shoreline Schools to put together these, these, these backpacks, these, these food lunches that the kids can take home. And we're doing it here at our church because we're ministering to our community. This is a calling, friends, and we're able to do these kind of things because you might not be called to come in and help prepare those, but you've been called to pray, to serve, to give, support the ministry of this church it allows us to be balanced. It allows us to have the freedom to serve where we are called. If we all do what God has called us to do, you know, I, I know that there are some of you today that say, you know, I, I physically I'm not able to do those things. I, I can't teach. But as God called you to pray, we, we, we are living off the prayers of, of some of our, our dear saints. And they are praying. And I hear that all the time when I visit people. I, I, I miss being at church, but I pray for you. I pray for you. I've told you before, and I, I know I repeat myself because I've been here 34 years, and um, I'm bound to say something twice. But, you know, um, I'll never forget. There are certain things you just never forget. I remember going to visit my brother Chuck Ostrom back in the 90s. I think it was early 90s when he was dying of cancer. And I went over to see him. Last time I saw Chuck over at their house over here, and and I, I bent down to, to tell him, and he because he could he was he could hardly talk. It was you know it was toward the end, and I said, Chuck, I'm I'm uh, I'm, I'm praying for you, and he said in an almost inaudible voice, but I could see I'm praying for you too. And he's praying for me. He's praying for me. Listen, friends, what is your calling? To encourage, 
to support financially, to give. We're, we're receiving our gifts to the mission committee for our church ministries, to pray, to serve, to step forward and say, yes, I could come in Wednesday night and help. I don't want you to have to turn any kids away because there's no longer because we're at max. <laughs> I could come and help put food packs together. I can do these things. It allows us to be free to serve where we're called when we don't have to do everybody else's job. There's harmony in the church. And friends, this is so important. This is never, it is never an us versus them. It is not the pastoral elders and this committee or that committee. It is not an us versus them. We are equal in our calling and service to God. And this is absolutely critical. We never look down on someone else's ministry, but we seek to work together in harmony And what was the result? The word of God spread. God's word spread. So I ask you today, what's your calling? I'm asking you, what is your calling? What has God called you to do? Listen, you all have a Christian calling. It is not just pastors and missionaries who are full-time. You are a full-time Christian. You are a full-time Christian. What is your calling? What is it? What is your calling? What has God asked you and laid on your heart? What can you do? What do you see as your calling? Are you going to help? Our deacon, I've mentioned our deaconesses. They've told me several times, we, we would love to have some younger women come on board. Some of us, some of us are getting older. <laughs> We'd love to have some younger women. Why not? Why not you? What is your calling? Are you going to help? And are you helping others to do their ministry? Are you encouraging others? Are you praying for others? Are we working against each other or working with each other? That we are a body of Christ that represents what God has called us to do, to be a unified faith community, community of faith, reaching our neighborhood, reaching our world, serving one another, meeting those needs, Praying and sharing God's word so that we are growing in the understanding of God's word, which is our final authority of what we believe and what we do. And I leave that with you today, friends. What is your calling? You have a calling. It may not be serving in this proximity physically. It may be in our neighborhood. What is it? What is it? Why not you? Why not you? Let's close our service in our final hymn, John, Faith, and Shelley. And thank you for your service of worship and leading us to worship today. Well, I encourage you next week, our missions conference, I want to tell you, your presence will be an encouragement to our missionaries. I want to encourage you to bring your children. I want to, God may be laying on their heart ministry and Christian service that, that they need to be here. Come and join us next Saturday night for dinner. We keep everything right to the time scheduled. We're in, we're done, we have meal, we have interaction. I want you to come and be a part of that with us. Please come and join us. I invite you to come tonight. Tonight's Bible study is going to be a fascinating to me, not because I'm teaching, but just because of the Word of God. This section from chapter 5 is a fascinating slice of Jewish history and God's work in the early church that, 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 that come together and coalesce, and it's this fascinating study. I'd like to invite you to come tonight. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We look forward to 
sharing this week with one another, but also with our community and sharing your word. We leave this place and we enter the mission field. Father, we enter the mission field and how we live, how we act. Uh, we, we even saw in your word today that elders and, and leaders are to be kind and hospitable and gentle. We are to be forthright and stand by your word, but to live lives that, that the others will see there's a difference. And we pray, Lord, as we leave this place, that we may be a community of faith that love each other, serve each other, serve our neighborhood, serve our world, that we might truly exemplify our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we have gathered this day. In his name we pray. Amen.